0: Hey, I'm Alan Hunter. You're listening on the Pantheon Network. With the Baker's Plus card, it's easy to get lower than low prices for the win. Earn fuel points on every purchase and save up to a dollar a gallon at the pump. The Baker's Plus card. All you do is win. Big, big
1: savings. Sign up now at bakersplus.com and start saving. Bakers. Fresh for everyone. Savings may vary by state. Fuel restrictions apply.
0: Save big on your favorites with the buy five or more, save a dollar each sale. Simply buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with your card. Bakers, fresh for everyone.
1: Hey, it's Mistress Carrie reporting for duty from MCHQ for episode 56 of the Mistress Carrie podcast. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by Digital Federal Credit Union. Better known to all of us by now. Come on, they're DCU. Take advantage of historically low mortgage rates with DCU. Now, through the end of June, DCU is willing to cover up to $3,000 in closing costs when you refinance your mortgage. Learn more at dcu.org slash mortgage. DCU is an equal housing lender, insured by the NCUA, NMLS number 466914. Membership required. That's dcu.org slash mortgage. This episode of the podcast is also sponsored by Jumptown Skydiving. Come on, you've been locked in the house for over a year. It's time to get out and live a little. Why not go and check off jumping out of a plane off your bucket list? And if you're going to do it, go to America's oldest skydiving drop zone. Easily accessible off of Route 2 in Orange, Mass., They're open seven days a week. And if you work in the service industry, Jumptown knows you can't take time on the weekends to go do fun stuff. That's when you're making your money. So there's service industry discounts on Mondays, Tuesdays, and Wednesdays. $185 tandem jumps. And if you put a group together from work, for every person you bring, you get $10 off your jump. Bring 10 people and you jump for free. Give skydiving a try at Jumptown. Log on to Jumptown.com for more details or book your discounted tandem jump at 978-544-5321. Okay, this episode of the podcast is with someone that I have known, it's got to be almost 30 years now. Back in the mid-90s, Rob was a member of a band called Boiler Room, which is when I met him. I reconnected with him a few years later, believe it or not, on the side of the stage watching Puffy. Puffy put a rock band together, and Rob, my friend Sean, and some other guys were there to play for him. Then Rob joined Anthrax, and we kept in touch. And years ago, he was producing and then joined Volbeat. The band recently announced two new songs being released for the summer. One called "Wait a Minute My Girl" and the other is called Dagon 4, or Dagon 4. Well, you find out in the interview. So I had a chance to sit down and catch up with Rob Caggiano to talk about how he spent his lockdown, to talk about Volbeat and new music, how to pronounce Dagon 4. And he was sitting outside in nature. Oh, trust me, you're going to hear the birds chirping. We talked about everything from music and inspiration to where to get the best Italian food in Boston. If you're a Volbeat fan, you are going to love this. I'm really excited for you to get to know Rob. So allow me to introduce you to Rob Caggiano from Volbeat.
0: Mistress Carrie! What's up? This is Aaron from Stain, and you're listening to Mistress Carrie. Hi, everybody. This is Dave Grohl from the Foo Fighters,
1: and you're listening to the one, the only Hello, Rob.
0: Hello there, Carrie.
1: How are you?
0: (laughs) Doing good. Doing good.
1: Hanging in there. You look like you're uh, communing with nature right now. What are you doing?
0: (laughs) I'm just outside. So nice out today here in New York.
1: Yeah, there was quite the heat wave lately. Now you can actually go outside and not die.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, really, really nice today.
1: So... Anything happened in the last year and a half?
0: <laughs> Besides the world ending? Uh, <laughs> um, last yeah, time I'm- I
1: saw you guys, you were touring with, was it Corn? Was that the last show I saw?
0: No, I think you were at the uh, KnotFest. I think it was the KnotFest tour. Yes.
1: Okay. Yeah. You're right. Yeah.
0: Um, that feels like it was 10 years ago, actually.
1: <laughs> I know, right? And how much we just took normal backstage interviews at concerts for granted.
0: Yeah, no, I was I was just talking to a buddy of mine yesterday about, you know, because we're obviously going to be going out there soon, All you know, every, every band is going to be out on the road again soon, but it's like I, the backstage area is going to be real weird, I think. <laughs> As if it wasn't weird enough already. Yep.
1: Touring has gone through some weird things. Um, you know, after Dimebag got killed, yeah, bands, yeah, yeah. Yep. bands looked at security and backstage stuff, and you know, security at venues. I mean, everything changed after that. And now yeah. I think, and then after the Great White <laughs> show, everything changed when it came to fire safety. And kind of all of that stuff. And now there's this huge kind of, you know, bands just want to be able to go out on the road. And it's like, do I got to wear a full body condom to do it? I'll, that's what I'll do then. Yeah.
0: It's just, what a weird time to be alive, huh? Well, it's crazy.
1: I want to apologize because most people are, um, are blaming WAF going off the air after 50 years as triggering the apocalypse, <laughs> because <laughs> it happened a couple weeks before covid really hit
0: i remember i remember that
1: and I remember that. i've been telling everybody well look i was out of work and home locked down socially distancing before it was cool before everybody else was laid off i got laid off first so quite the trendsetter and it's just crazy
0: yeah i mean you know, what's really, really crazy is it just, it felt like right before all of that happened, the entire, like everything was crazy. Like it was just such, like there was something in the air. I I, could, I can't even explain it. Um, a really good friend of mine was, uh, rest in peace, uh, my friend Amy, she was murdered in, in LA. And um, it was literally right around that time. It was like in February. Um, and I remember, uh, you know, I, talk, I was I was actually in LA at the time, um, and I talked to my mother. And she was telling me about this virus and this and this and that. And she's always telling me about some kind of virus or whatever. You know, I, I didn't take it seriously. But uh, I flew from LA to New York, and um, I stayed in the city for a few days and uh, hung out with some people and met up with some friends and just you know business as usual, going to restaurants, whatever. And it was literally, it was like days before everything got real weird here in New York, you know? Um, And that was it. And, you know, the crazy thing also is, you know, New York kind of exploded with the cases, but it was literally in the town where my parents live. It was literally like a few blocks away from where my my parents live. So that whole thing was just totally insane because my parents were not really, uh, they didn't really know how to to deal with it. And, you know, (laughs) funny story at the time, my my, you know, they were telling you don't go out, you know, don't go to stores and this and that. So we were ordering food in, but my father wasn't really listening. He was going to the supermarket, no mask, like, you know, whatever. So I, I'm like, are you crazy? So I, I actually literally put, I gave him four flat tires so we would leave.
1: You popped your dad's tires to keep him from going grocery shopping?
0: For real. Yeah, he just wasn't, he wasn't getting it. He just wasn't getting it just kept going out and I'm like, what are you doing? Like, we don't even know what's going on. We don't know what this is. Like, just stay put for a little bit till we figure it out, you know? Anyway, so yeah.
1: That's a very <laughs> New York thing to do. Most people would like hide the keys. You're like, nope, flat tires, buddy. You
0: know, he's got all kinds of spare keys and stuff. Yeah, I tried that actually. It didn't work.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and And for anybody that, you know, has their parents... Those are the people that we're most worried about. Yeah. Trying to protect them. Absolutely. You have a very strange situation. I've talked to a lot of bands that have a member that lives outside the U.S. You know, Evanescence, Pop Evil. You're the reverse where you're the only guy in the U.S. and everyone else is overseas. What... What was that like being in Volbeat the last year and a half?
0: I mean, it was it was weird, obviously, you know, we we couldn't get together. Well, those guys, I guess, you know, it was weird in Denmark, too. I mean, they were they were locked down pretty hard from what I hear, Um, you know, the rest as was the rest of the world, you know. So but uh, yeah, we couldn't get together and rehearse and, you know, couldn't do what we normally would do. So it was uh, it was a weird time. Definitely a weird time.
1: And somehow through all of it, you guys managed to work on a couple songs. And yeah. you just released them. So the first thing I'm gonna ask you is how to pronounce it. Is it Dagon Four? Are you bilingual yet? How does this work?
0: You're asking the wrong
1: dude.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've been saying Dagan Four, but I, you know, I, obviously I don't have the Danish accent and I'm, I'm not pronouncing that correctly. <laughs> I heard I heard Michael say it, and I, my tongue just doesn't even do that. I can't do it.
1: Have you so. tried? Have they tried to talk you into taking language lessons?
0: Picked up a few things here and there, you know, some of the basic stuff. Crew boosting, band boosting, crew bus, band bus. <laughs>
1: <laughs> a New York accent isn't exactly the easiest accent to try and learn a foreign language with, either.
0: Right. <laughs> And the Danish, the Danish act. I mean, it's just it's a. I I mean, I haven't really tried to learn Danish because those guys they all speak English too, so it's, it's it's cool. But it seems like it would be a really hard language to learn. You know, just like the way it sounds, it's it sounds like it's very very difficult. Maybe it's not. I don't know. It's just I would I would guess it would be very hard to learn it.
1: I watch a lot of TikTok videos because I got sucked into it through the lockdown, and I love. Yeah. I love when people have immigrated to the United States and they're learning English as a second language and they point out all of the idiosyncrasies to show how stupid English really is. Because <laughs> <laughs> we don't notice it because we grew up here.
0: Right, right.
1: So you guys work on these two new songs and you have mm-hmm. to do it through the 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 wonders of modern technology. How, how did you guys logistically pull this off?
0: Well, I mean... You know, the reality of it is with with the way technology is you, you can work remotely. I mean, I've been doing that for years. Um on, on many different different projects. But I mean basically they uh they went in, recorded some tracks, and they sent me the stems. And I, I had a studio set up here and yeah, I did my did my groove and they did theirs and put it all together. <laughs> That's basically it.
1: Can you imagine if this happened? Like back when you and I were growing up, when we were in the hallway on the hardwired phone, like with four channels on the TV, can you I, imagine I, I, what I, this would have been like?
0: I so want to go back to that, that to those times, like it, <laughs> for real. Um, I mean, things were just so, uh, so great back then and, and simple, just simpler, you know, yeah. Uh,
1: some things, were, some things were simpler. <laughs> I know, Rob, tell that kid to get off the lawn behind you. Tell him. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> things were simpler, but like, you know, right now, you wouldn't have been able to work on songs unless you did it through the mail.
0: Yeah, that's true. That's true. I mean, everything, you know, back then, if it happened, everything would have really come to a standstill. So, you know, yeah. I guess. I mean, for, for a band like this where there's... You know like you said i'm from i'm i'm here they're they're in denmark and you know, it definitely is difficult but um but you know it's like i know a lot of friends here in the states that, that are musicians and you know they just kept recording and writing and doing you know it, it really didn't didn't affect creative people as much as as uh, as you would think you know what i mean it it really didn't because you can't really stop creativity and, and like I said, I mean, you could you could work remotely these days, and and uh, that's good. So that's basically what I've been doing. I just been working like crazy and and working with different artists and writing and um, producing stuff, and uh, just keep busy. You know, just having fun. And one of the cool things about, you know, one of the positive things about it, you know, I, t- I talked about my parents before, you know, them having a hard time at the beginning. But w- one of the best things about this whole crazy pandemic for me was just having, you know, having the time to actually spend uh, with my parents, so, you know, cause I'm always on the road, you know?
1: Well, so that, that was, was a really. That was what I was going to say is that the thing with the creative people that it affected was obviously their paycheck. Right. And the other is their ability to travel. And so for somebody like you that is constantly <laughs> on the go, constantly doing a bunch of stuff, the world forced you to have forced family fun time.
0: Yeah. And it was great. Absolutely great. You know, I haven't been home in New York, for this long, since I was, uh, I don't even know, 16, maybe <laughs> 17, <laughs> you know, I'm usually I'm usually home for two weeks and then I'm, then I'm gone somewhere. You know, if I'm not touring, I'm out, you know, working on uh, working on a record or working on music with someone or, you know, whatever. I'm just always doing stuff. So for me, it was really weird. It took me it took me a minute to, to adjust as well. But um, yeah, I embraced it. I made the best of it. And, and uh, like I said, you know, having that that uh, family time is really good.
1: How long did it take you to unpack the suitcase and put your clothes back in the bureau?
0: Um, I don't even know if I actually unpacked my suitcase. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I did, actually.
1: What did you enjoy the most when you were home with your parents? Like, like, what were some of just the regular everyday things that you just haven't been able to do, that you just loved being able to do again
0: just having dinner with them every night you know that kind of thing and uh, catching up on all these you know netflix shows and all that stuff because if you know i never usually never have time to watch watch those shows i'm always like jealous of people that get wrapped up in these series and you know these certain shows or whatever but uh yeah it was great i, I caught up on a lot of stuff and um yeah i don't know it's simple stuff. We weren't doing anything, anything too fancy. Just basic stuff that, you know, I normally miss out on.
1: Sunday you know? dinners with mom's meatballs.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you guys worked on these songs and obviously had to do it remotely. What's the What's the plan with them? Is this off a new record? Did you just want to release a couple songs because? You just felt like releasing new music. I mean, what what's going on?
0: Um, I mean, there will be a record at some point. I, uh, you know, I don't know when. You know, we just uh, started working on some new ideas. You know, that's basically that's basically what what these two songs are. You know, um, but you know, we are we are a rock band and we do make music. So, yeah.
1: One of the things that's been hilarious to me. Vinyl's been back for a while And you guys do a great job With your collectible Limited edition vinyl For people that are really into that Which I love That it's become Such a huge thing again What I can't believe Is all the bands That are starting to get back Into cassettes again
0: Yeah, I I don't I don't know where They're playing these cassettes I don't get it (laughs) Honestly I I have no idea Where they're playing cassettes But I I agree with you I've been seeing that It it seems to be uh, Really big in the um, In the extreme metal world been seeing a lot of uh like limited cassette releases, limited run cassette run cassette releases. Um, but I don't know where they're playing it.
1: Cassette <laughs> I mean, players are not exactly easy to find.
0: Yeah, I mean if I had a cassette right now, I, I wouldn't know I have no idea where I would play it. No clue. I don't have a cassette player.
1: And I don't anybody, even have CD player. <laughs> you don't have a what?
0: I don't even have a CD player. <laughs>
1: don't Anybody that wants cassettes now never lived through it before and never, never had the panic of looking for a pencil to fix a cassette emergency.
0: (laughs) Remember those? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, Yeah, I don't really miss cassettes because I never thought they sounded very good compared to compared to the vinyls.
1: Well, the vinyl, I understood the big artwork, the bifold, yeah. the, the actual gram of the vinyl, the colored vinyl, the picture disc, the actual audio quality that I, I understand yeah. it all.
0: Totally. Yeah, absolutely. Because, wow. yeah, I mean, they do they definitely do sound different than CDs and it's actually a different mastering process for vinyl than it is for CDs. Well, well, technically it should be. I don't think a lot of people do that, but it should be a different uh, mastering process
1: some people might not know that you're that that you're also a producer you're not just the guitarist in Volbeat but you're a producer so when you talk about the mixing and mastering of an album for vinyl versus digital can you actually talk about that process because I haven't been able to really talk to anybody on the podcast that that can talk about it
0: uh I mean sure I could I could probably talk for weeks about it, but what do you <laughs> want to know?
1: <laughs> well, first of all, for anybody that's listening that doesn't know what mixing and mastering is, can you give me the the basic Webster's dictionary definitions?
0: Oh, so mixing basically uh, how do I put it in uh, layman's terms? Well, basically when you're when you're recording a record or or, or you know, a group of songs, actually, let's just make it one song, recording a song. You have a bunch of different tracks. You have the bass, the bass drum, you got the snare drum, you got the hi-hat, you got the whole drum set on separate tracks. Um, you got your guitars, your bass guitar, your rhythm guitars. It's usually left and right. Um, or depending on how much you're layering stuff, basically all your, all your different, different things are on separate tracks. So mixing basically is you're bouncing everything down, getting all the levels right and making sure everything works nicely together. Frequency wise. So nothing's fighting. You can hear everything clearly. And um, you're just bouncing it down to a stereo file that can be played. And when you play the stereo file, you hear you're basically hearing back. 20, 30, 40 tracks sometimes (laughs) in one in one.
1: So when you're listening to like an old Hendrix record and Jimmy's guitar goes in one ear through your head to the other ear and back again, that's all the stuff you're talking about.
0: Yeah, I mean, obviously records back then were made, you know, way differently than they are today. You know, a lot of that stuff was uh, was cut live and, you know, very minimal mics and, and uh, you know, stuff like that. But, yeah, the basic gist of it is is the same. You know, mixing is just bouncing everything down um, and making everything, uh, like I said, making making sure nothing's fighting with each other. All the frequencies are, are, are there and nothing's missing. And you, nothing's like fighting for attention, you know, stuff like that. And, you know, I mean, mixing is an art, you know, it's like, obviously it's an art. It's, it's, uh, I mean, people spend their whole lives trying to nail that art. You know, it's, 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 uh, it's, it's a real, it, it could be a real crazy thing. You know, it's it, depending on how, how deep you get with it, you know, cause it, there has to be dynamics and, it, you know, at the end of the day, you're trying to move people. Music is, you're trying to connect with people, you know, um, a bad mix could ruin a song a great mix can make uh, a song that isn't so great something more than it is. You know what I mean? So it's, it's a, uh, it's an art and it's, it's definitely a serious thing.
1: And then what's the difference between mixing and mastering?
0: So mastering basically uh, that comes into play. That's like the final stage um, in the process. Once all the songs are mixed, you send it to the master engineer. One, my, one of my best friends, actually our best friend, one of our best friends, Paul Logus, is a great mastering engineer. And, um, yeah, so you send it to a guy like that, and he takes all the tracks, makes sure that the uh, every, like all the levels are consistent between the songs, the spacing between the songs, and, and it's also like a final EQ adjustment. Once again, mastering is an art, you know? A bad master can completely ruin a record. Totally. I've, I've had songs go to mastering and come back like completely out of phase and, and totally weird sounding. It's like, what the hell happened? <laughs> you know, so...
1: And those masters are the recordings that bands fight over the rights to. They're the recordings that, the old recordings that people talk about preserving and the original masters getting put in the Library of Congress or in the Smithsonian or when there's a fire at a record label in the vaults. These are the masters, the the final original recordings that everybody talks about
0: well yeah, yes and no' you're, I think you're you're referring to that. Well, back in the day it would have been the, the tapes like the analog tape, the reel to reel tapes that was what you would consider the mass So those are the, the recordings for for whatever the album is and um, yeah, so I mean as far as as far as that goes, uh, things are a little bit differently because th- things work a little bit differently now, obviously because it's uh, um, I mean some people still still work on tape, but most people are not working on tape. So a lot of it is just hard drives, you know, stuff like that.
1: So one of the, one of the things that, that people are wondering about, and we touched on it a little bit, is how do we all go back to normal and go to concerts and tour? And Brad Whitford from Aerosmith came out recently and was commenting about the difficulty about Brexit and bands touring in Europe and work visas and trying to work all of that stuff out. So you guys aren't just juggling COVID stuff, but you're juggling all of the European political stuff with Brexit as well.
0: Yeah, there's, there's something going on in, in, uh, in the UK. I, I don't, it was explained to me a couple of times and I don't totally understand it really. I have to sit down with a, with a few people and just really wrap my head around it, but it's something to do with the tour buses and the Brexit and the, um, the, the new laws, the new rules, you know, for drivers and stuff. And and uh, the long and short of it, it it's going to be really difficult for bands to tour over there. So, so I don't really know. I think they're all trying to figure it out. And I think certain uh, bus companies might be possibly relocating outside of the UK. I don't really know. I don't know what's going to happen, but it's, it's the entire world is upside down, basically. <laughs>
1: Now, one of the other things that you did riding out COVID was you were doing, like, guitar lessons online, right?
0: No, I've never done guitar lessons online. the people keep asking me to do them. I might actually do something soon, but I've never just, done that.
1: Were the videos that I saw then you just kind of explaining your guitar parts? I saw some guitar playing videos on YouTube.
0: Yeah, I did a thing uh, with Guitar World um, where I was uh, basically showing them how to, them how to play our, our, our single back then. This was, like, you know, last year. Um, So I did a couple of things like that. But as far as like actually giving guitar lessons to 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 people, no, I haven't haven't done that.
1: They said that last year in the height of the lockdown, one thousand guitars were being purchased a day in the United States.
0: Yeah, that's what I heard.
1: So when people talk about the future of rock and roll and where rock is at? Because you and I have been hearing that rock is dead for what, 25 years?
0: Rock ain't dead, never was dead. (laughs) It ain't gonna be, you know?
1: What advice do you have for somebody that bought one of those guitars during the lockdown? That's just trying to pick it up and learn it as a hobby, or maybe it's a kid that thinks maybe they wanna be the next Rob Caggiano from (laughs) Volby.
0: Well, I mean, the first thing I would say is you know hone your craft you know you got to put the time in um a lot of the the younger generation you know from what i'm noticing it just seems like there's an attention span thing that's happening where these these younger kids you know they have so much stuff going on TikTok and this and that it's, it's just they have a hard time focusing and um for something like the guitar, you need to focus. You need to put the time in. You need to dedicate your stuff, your, your, you know, yourself to to the instrument. And there's really no shortcut. You know, there's no YouTube video that's going to make you a great guitar player. There's no, uh, you know, short. You know, there's no shortcuts, no quick fix. There's, there's nothing. You have to literally put the time in, bust your ass, you know, and uh, that's it. And eventually, you know, you you pick it up and you get to the point where you can actually have fun with it and come up with your own ideas and hopefully, you know, interact with other other musicians, jam with, you know, different players, and drummers and whatever. And uh that's where that's where you have fun, you know. But yeah, it could be tedious. Like it's like anything else, you know. Um guitar, you know, honing that craft is a, is a serious thing, you know. It's not it's not doesn't happen in 2 weeks. <laughs>
1: Hopefully some of those people bought some of your guitars. You have a Jackson signature guitar that, yeah. that just so happens to be the same color as my hair. I'm going to just tell everybody that right. it's a tribute to me.
0: <laughs> yeah. The Jackson Shadowcaster. caster. Um, yeah. Purple's uh, purple's my color. And it, you know, I've been playing a purple guitar for years and uh, yeah, I'm really stoked on this new, this new signature model. I think the guys at Jackson or, absolutely incredible they're wizards <laughs> and uh you know for me actually i learned a lot you know designing this guitar and you know working with them um just about like you know it's, it's, it's just stuff that i never thought about as, as a guitar player you know i go on stage my tech hits you know hands me the guitar and i, and I rock and i do my thing but th- there's certain things about the actual instrument that i never even thought about you know there's so much that goes into you know guitar construction and stuff like that um so yeah that was that was an amazing process you know designing that guitar and um just figuring out all the little details like what wood i like and for you know every wood sounds different like tonally it's a little bit different uh was that the biggest
1: surprise for you was the wood tones what what shocked you being a guitar player for years
0: just i mean it's just it forced me to think about and be aware of all of these little details that I never thought about, like the distance, uh, distance of the bridge, like where the volume knob is like all of this different stuff, like the contour where you rest your arm. (laughs) I'm geeking out here, but it's, it's all, all of these like minor things that, that um, when you're designing a guitar, you got to think about, but I never, this was, this was actually my first time designing a guitar from the ground up the company and um yeah it was it was a crazy experience but awesome you know and i'm I'm really proud of uh, the end result i think those guys totally nailed it and the guitar screams it's it's a beautiful guitar
1: do you still have your first guitar
0: i don't my first guitar was well my very first guitar i was four or five years old i had this little red acoustic and i used to i used to wear a hat just like this when i was a little kid and i used to banging that guitar and do shows I (laughs) I had a a stage name too apparently.
1: You did? Do you know what it is?
0: Bobby Jaguar
1: (laughs) That just became a hashtag just like that I'm never ever calling you Rob ever again you are forever (laughs) going to be known as Bobby Jaguar
0: (laughs) It's a true story I mean, my father tells a story to everybody that we need. So it's like, it's already out there. So, but yeah, it's pretty funny.
1: Why did you, why did they buy you a guitar? Was it something you asked for? Did somebody else in the family already play? Where did this musical ability and drive come from?
0: Well, my father's obsessed with music. He's probably more obsessed with music than I am. Um, he, he really, really lives and breathes it. You know, um, he was never really a musician, although he does sing. In his later years, he started singing. He's really good. He's like a crooner. Does like all the Sinatra, Tony Bennett type of stuff. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I think right from, an, right from the get-go, um, he saw that I was maybe musically inclined and I was really into it, you know. And he got me a guitar and I was, I was literally, I would just bang, bang, on, bang on the guitar. You know, I obviously couldn't play at five years old. Um, or maybe I could, I don't know. I don't remember, (laughs) but it was, it wasn't until I was, uh, nine years old or nine or 10 that I really, that was it. I heard, uh, I heard Van Halen, I heard ACDC and that was it. I was completely done. I knew exactly what I wanted, what I wanted to do. And I knew, uh, yeah, that was it. I was, I knew what I needed to do to get there. I, I think, you know, back then I knew I needed to really dedicate myself to it and, and, uh, just couldn't get enough of it, though. You know, as a kid, I was so like, I was in love with the guitar. And it really was. You know, um, you, you had to like pry it out of my hands. <laughs> so,
1: you're another example, and the list is so long it can't even be named of guitar players that cite Eddie Van Halen as inspiration for you picking up the guitar and and yeah. wanting to to chase that dream. I haven't talked to you since he passed. What does Eddie Van Halen's legacy mean to you? And and what was it like as a guitar player to lose him for you?
0: I mean, I was, I was devastated. I mean, I definitely, I was crying for sure when I heard that news. Um, yeah. I mean, he was definitely my biggest inspiration. Um, yeah, he was my, he was my hero. You know, and I I think a lot of guitar players, you know, will tell you that. He was um his impact on on rock music and on the guitar specifically is it's I don't even know how to how to say it. I mean he just he really just changed everything, changed everything about everything. (laughs) The way even like the way guitars are actually made, he changed that. Like all the stuff I was just talking about, (laughs) like he, he was so innovative and he, he came up with so many like groundbreaking ideas. Um, uh, yeah. It's just ridiculous. And his playing, like nobody, nobody can touch him in my opinion. Um, he just made it look so easy and he made it look so fun. And I think that's what really resonated with me as a kid, you know, looking at this guy playing all this crazy stuff and he's just smiling the whole time. You know, it made me, I'm like, that's what I need to do. Like, I, I want to do that, you know? So that that was it for me. Um, he was the coolest. You know, he was the ultimate, the ultimate guitar god. There, I don't think there will ever be another Eddie Van Halen.
1: I had just a chance won't. to meet him a couple times. And one time, Brent from Shinedown brought me backstage in his dressing room when they were touring with them. And it was just me and Brent and Eddie and Wolfgang, who obviously was younger and Eddie was just sitting in, a like, a leather chair in his dressing room, and he was just, like, noodling on the guitar. And one thing that I noticed particularly is it seemed like the pads of his fingers, like the top knuckle of his fingers,
0: mm-hmm.
1: was bigger than than anybody else's hands. Like, I remember while I was standing there, I was mesmerized watching him just noodle. But then I remember thinking... His hand almost looks too big to be moving around and have that kind of dexterity. Now as somebody yeah. that plays the guitar, your the actual structure of your hand goes into what kind of guitar and all of the nerdy stuff you were talking about, the neck, the frets, like all of that stuff, it all goes into bettering your ability to move up and down the neck and be able to do all of the stuff that he did
0: yeah his hands were huge um, I never met Eddie um, unfortunately I' I've pretty I've met everybody I met pretty much all my idols he was the only one I never met and um, but yeah there's um, my hands are really really big so hey, I hear no it all time. To brag Rob no 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 Bobby my, my Jaguar hand, oh, my, my, my fingers are really fat and you know i hear it all the time like how do you play you know how do you do that your hands are so, so big or whatever you just you just get used to it but there's a, a, a in la guitar center outside of guitar center they have you know like the rock walk walk of fame whatever they call it and they have in the in the sidewalk eddie eddie's handprints so of course you know i put my hand in there but it, it, his handprint was huge <laughs> So that's, I mean, that's the only thing I'm going off of because I never actually met him. But uh, yeah, his hands are really big. I think his fingers were were long too. But you know, one of the crazy things or one of the most awesome things about Eddie Van Halen is he could, he would sound like him no matter what. You could put him through my rig or anyone's rig. He's going to sound like Eddie because the tone comes from your fingers ultimately, you know? So yeah, rest in peace. He was, he was the best.
1: It's so funny that you bring that up because I had Nuno Betancourt on the podcast and we were talking about Eddie Van Halen and yeah. he got brought to a Van Halen rehearsal. And so Eddie, jealous. And, and Eddie let him play his rig. And Nuno, who's a pretty proficient player in his own right, said, yeah. this is my moment to finally sound like Eddie Van Halen. And he threw the guitar over his, you know, the strap over his neck. And he started playing. And he goes, I was so pissed because I still sounded like myself. I didn't sound like Eddie. And I've had so many guitars, guitarists on the podcast talk about the player being ultimately what makes the sound. And Nuno had... Eddie's guitar, Eddie's strap, Eddie's cord, Eddie's pedals, Eddie's amp. He literally was doing everything but wear his underwear, and he still couldn't sound like Eddie.
0: Right. Vasco's Nuno is amazing in his own right, and he has a very identifiable sound. You know, he's, he's a great player. So, of course, he has his own thing, and he's always going to sound like that no matter where he plays. It's the same thing with Eddie. Um, yeah, the thing about Eddie is he, he invented all the stuff that we all do. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's the, that's kind of the difference.
1: Eddie also did something that I think a lot of younger generations might not even realize in the collaborations with artists outside the genre, like a Michael Jackson.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And one of the things that I think is happening in these new generations, I bring it up because one of the things I've seen you do in your career is like go on stage with puff daddy. Right? Right. Because I, I was there that day. Were you there? Wow, yes. That's, that's
0: awesome. Yeah, that was that was a crazy show, huh?
1: <laughs> well, my friend Sean, your friend Sean, who played bass that day, I told right. him I was going to talk to you. He told me to tell you hello.
0: Oh, tell me, so What's up? But you guys yeah.
1: you guys played on stage when the Godzilla soundtrack came out. And, and did he... Kind of took Led Zeppelin and kind of made it his own, and he needed a live rock band. Yeah, and I bring it up because it seems like there is a lot more collaboration amongst genres happening right now in music than I think ever before.
0: Do you, you said there's a lot more collaborations?
1: Yeah, I feel like like you look at an artist like her. And she straps on a guitar and just starts shredding. And you look at somebody like Post Malone, who's bringing the Red Hot Chili Peppers or Aerosmith up on stage. And, you know, there's somebody like a Machine Gun Kelly, who now all of a sudden has gone from being a hip-hop guy, and now he's a pop-punk guy. And it, it, it seems to me like some of the genres are starting to blend together a little bit. And that other genres are starting to pick up the guitar and use it in their own music
0: well that's a beautiful thing um, yeah I think you're right I think I think uh, the lines are definitely being blurred right now I think uh, and I think that's also a great thing because that's how that's how you know genres or, or styles kind of reinvent themselves you know um, by trying different things and, and you know trying. Maybe, you know, thinking outside of the box, you know, is is a really good thing when you're when you're doing music, um, because that's how you come up with fresh ideas. So, yeah.
1: I mean, Volbeat does that a lot with the rockabilly stuff and turning it into metal, like in blending these genres to make something totally different.
0: Yeah. We just have fun.
1: You also were, were part of a band for a time that was famous for blending genres, talking about anthrax. And yeah. they're doing this whole video series celebrating their 40th anniversary that I know you and Michael were all, were all helping out with and taking a part in. Can yeah. you talk about, from a rock and metal perspective, how important Anthrax is in that kind of timeline of the genre?
0: Um, there's a car line. I thought it was
1: another bird.
0: <laughs> oh my God. Um, I mean, Anthrax. I mean, you know, their contribution to the world of metal and and even hip hop is is uh, undeniable. You know what I mean? Um, you know, back when they did uh, On the Man, you know their uh, their musical sensibilities. I, I, it's just it's incredible what they did. You know, because they they did especially back then when all of that was going down. Um, it took a lot of guts for a metal band to do to, to a rap song, you know what I mean? And they did it and they did it in, in such a cool, cool way. And there was a sense of humor about it, but it was also serious. It was just it was great. it was killer, you know, and then obviously what they did with uh, Public Enemy, bring the noise. Um, also incredible. So, yeah, I don't know if that answered the question. Oh, it but.
1: totally did. When you get back out on the road, the only date that I've seen you guys have in the US right now is the Aftershock Festival.
0: Right. Yeah, there might be some shows around that. We're not totally sure. I mean, nothing is there's whispers right now. We don't know. There's no, nothing confirmed.
1: So, the, the, we'll see. the musical festivals in Europe are legendary. And now yeah. it seems like the American festivals are really starting to grow and starting to get established. How do you think a festival like Aftershock matches up to some of the giant European festivals that Volbeat has played as well?
0: Um, I think, I think, you know, the U S has kind of been catching up for a while now. You know, it's not just this year or last year, you know, the U S festivals have been great for a while now. Um, You know, Aftershock is going to be great. Uh, They were doing rock on the range for years in Ohio. That was a great festival. Um, Yeah, it's just, it's the same, same concept, you know, the same thing. You know, you have, you know, all, all the bands on the bill and different days and different stages. And it's just a, it's a real treat for the fans, you know? Um, But yeah, the European festivals are, are amazing. You know, I really love the UK festivals just because of the history and all that stuff, you know? Uh, the Download Festival is always a great one, uh, although it does rain all the time. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. To be honest, I don't know if you can really compare them. It's 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 a bit of a different vibe, but not really. You know,
1: all of the bands that I've been talking to cite one of the things they miss the most is the relationship between the bands themselves and their fans, and having that stripped away for so long your ability to not be able to play that, that gathering place for the fans to be able to go and all kind of get together. Yeah. What do you say to the fans that have just missed Volbeat because the world shut down?
0: I would just tell them to hang in there. We're coming for you. (laughs) (laughs) Just a matter of time, you know, that's it. I think we're, uh, we're all turning the corner and all this craziness. At least that's what it seems like to me anyway. Um, And yeah, it's only a matter of time.
1: I started asking a question to songwriters and musicians kind of on a whim. I think the Royal Blood guys were the first guys that I asked the question. And now I'm asking everybody the question because I love everybody's answer. So I'll pose it to you as well. Sure. As a songwriter, this is a songwriter's perspective. Mm -hmm. As a songwriter, what is a song from any artist or genre or era that you wish you wrote?
0: Oh my God. There's so many.
1: <laughs> and uh, why? And why?
0: Let's see. What, can I get? Can I do more than one?
1: Absolutely. You can do whatever you want, but I want to know the answer. Why though? I want you to break it down from a songwriter's perspective.
0: The immigrant song that leds up one. In my opinion, that's one of the, it might actually be the heaviest riff ever. Um, or, or, a, at least one of them for me. And the crazy thing about that riff is it's one note. It's just an octave down and and you know what I mean it's just absolutely brilliant. I think Jimmy Page was still is he's a genius, you know. Huge inspiration. Um let's see what's another song. Eleanor Rigby by the Beatles. Brilliant song. Absolutely brilliant. I mean all of their songs are brilliant but um Yeah, just the mood that they captured, uh, the melody, the lyrics, everything about that song is just, in my opinion, magical, you know.
1: I talked to Jacoby Shaddix from Papa Roach, and he said that um, Helter Skelter could be like the first heavy metal song because it's so heavy that it's, interesting that it yeah. that even before black sabbath who kind of gets the credit for inventing metal that it that it you know the screaming and the it it's funny how often that cuz i'm a huge beatles fan but it's funny how often the beatles come up in this podcast and people that hate the beatles oh, yeah. must just go jesus christ
0: yeah i mean i don't know how anyone could hate the beatles it's, it doesn't that doesn't add up to me it doesn't make sense you know, everything like the songwriting, the, the aesthetic, the sound of the records. The, I mean, everything about it was so high level. I can't imagine people not not digging it. You know, um, they were the masters of, of, of songwriting. You know, their songs are amazing. They're infectious. Um, uh, the, yeah, another band, too. I always call them I call them the Beatles of punk rock. But the Misfits, huge influence on me. Um, you know, every single song I think is a, is a masterpiece, you know, especially from that, that, uh, that original era, you know, the songs are so catchy and so well-crafted, you know, Um, even, you know, within the chaotic framework of a punk rock band, it's, it's like brilliant songs, you know? So
1: Writing a writing a pop song is not as easy as people might think it is. There's a lot of difficulty in that simplicity.
0: It's not easy at all. It's actually uh, extremely hard to write a, a good pop song. Yeah.
1: I knew your answers were going to be good. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean, you know, the thing about pop music is it, it is in a, in a certain way, you know, if you, in a certain sense, it is simple, but because of that, it makes it really hard to do stuff that's creative and stuff that connects with people. You know what I mean? It, you have to really be amazing. You know, that, that's like a, you know, it's a hard thing, so.
1: You're somebody that has their finger kind of on the pulse of, of the next generation of bands because you work in a producing capacity and you do a lot of the behind the scenes work too. Are there some bands that I should keep my eye out for that you're working with that we're going to hear from soon?
0: Ooh, there's some stuff on the horizon. Well, there's a there's actually a band that uh, <laughs> I started. I have to go go back and finish. I started it before the pandemic, and then everything got locked down. But there's a great band called Life Machines out of Atlanta. It's a three-piece killer rock band. Um, I did a few, few tracks for those guys that came out really good. So I just got to go back down to Atlanta um, very soon. I'm going to be doing that. And, uh, yeah, there's a couple of, couple of things uh, on the horizon that I can't really discuss right now, but, yeah. Keep your ears open, Carrie.
1: <laughs> <laughs> when you get back out on tour and you're on the bus and you're on the road and it's 3 o'clock mm. in the morning and you stop at a truck stop, what do you miss from the truck stops at 3 a.m. that you that you are just going to go in and buy?
0: Well, I, I actually, I hate truck stops. <laughs> I, what I? What I really, what I miss is the late 2 a.m., 3 a.m. Walmart adventures. So that's what we do. We go to Walmart and just ravage through the through the store just go crazy.
1: What's some of the stuff that the guys in Volbeat have bought at Walmart at 2 a.m.?
0: Oh, my God, all kinds of stuff. Pajamas, socks. Usually pillows, because the pillows on the bus are terrible. <laughs> <laughs> you know, stuff like that, food, you know, you know, stock in the fridge. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't know. We've, we've sky's the limit. When you go to Walmart, they have everything. <laughs> 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 so.
1: And you just freak out the kids that are working there at that hour too. Cause they're like, is that, is that Volbeat?
0: <laughs> usually usually late at night. There's, there's not a lot of people in the store you know, it's, it's a, it's a good time to go, you know, I mean, there might be a few zombies here and there, like dragging their legs down, down the aisle, but (laughs) for for the most part,
1: (laughs) it looks like the cast of tiger King in there. Yeah. (laughs) Did you get sucked into that in all your Netflix viewing, by the way?
0: I saw the tiger King. I wasn't, I don't know the way it was, it, it was talked up so much to me that I was expecting more. I just, I was like, whatever. It was cool. It was interesting. I just... Dude's crazy. <laughs> I felt
1: exactly. like I gave up eight hours of my life that I can never get back because I literally hated every single person on the show.
0: Yeah, it's, I, I wasn't so... I wasn't so into it. I wasn't so into it.
1: It's just very strange. <laughs> yeah. Well, you got, new, you got two new songs out from Volbeat that you did transcontinental digitally through the wonders of modern technology. I'm going to start calling it Doggin' Four, because that's how you told me to say it.
0: That's how I would say it. Um, yeah. Uh, it, you know, that's not obviously the correct way to say it, but we're American.
1: And it and it features Stein Bromson?
0: Steena. Steena Bromson.
1: Okay, see, I knew I was going to mispronounce it. That's why I wanted to ask you.
0: Yeah. Yeah, she's great. She uh, she definitely took the song to to a higher level, I think.
1: And then there's another song called Wait a Minute, My Girl. So those two songs right now are available, and whether or not they end up coming out as part of a full-length album or whatever from Volbeat, we're just going to have to wait and see. Right. Was this yep. was this the band's attempt at just trying to make everyone happy, writing, like, summer songs?
0: <laughs> I don't know about that. I think it just... It's the first, uh, the first stuff that came out, you know? I don't think there was uh, any real plan as far as that goes, you know, write a summer song, you know, I don't think it was like that. It's It's
1: just been really funny to watch like the, like musicians experiencing like the same challenges and to see how those challenges get filtered through the bands. And it's either songs that are like, fuck you, you fucking fuck. I hate you. I hate life. I want to kill everyone. Or they come out with something kind of uplifting and happy and something that is totally different.
0: Yeah. I mean, the, the, you know, I think, uh, I think when shows start happening and, and, uh, you know, all that stuff, it's going to be really emotional, I think. And, um, I, I, you know, everybody's been working on music during, during this, this time. And, and, uh, there's going to be a lot of different, different, you know, a lot of different sounds coming out, I think, really soon. There's going to be pissed, like you just said, pissed off stuff, happy stuff. I mean, you know, if we, if we really truly are turning the corner on all this, you know, it's definitely something to celebrate, you know, so we'll see.
1: Well, I had to completely reinvent everything over the last year and a half and launching a company, launching a podcast, a website, a video show getting back on the radio in a totally different way One of the things that I've learned about this entire process over the last year and a half is that the relationships I've made in this business with the people that I know and the people that I've known forever, they weren't just part of the show. And the fact that you came on the show today and that you've been so generous with your time is just another example. And I'm so grateful that personally losing WAF something I was a part of for 29 years and a station I grew up listening to was catastrophic for me, both personally and professionally. And one of the things I was worried about was that in losing the station, I was going to lose everything, my career, everything.
0: First of all, you were WAF, in my opinion. So, yeah, you just got to keep doing what you're doing. You're awesome. You've always been awesome.
1: Well, it... It really means a lot that there has been so much love and support coming from everyone, but I'm talking to you. So thank you for, you know, always being there, always being willing to sit down and answer my ridiculous questions.
0: (laughs) Your questions are always great. What are you talking about?
1: (laughs) (laughs) And I can't wait. I don't know when it's going to be, but I can't wait to see you in person again. And, and yes. to be able to take it for granted that we're just sitting next to each other, mask-free, backstage at a show again.
0: Yeah, I'm looking forward to that as well. I, you know, actually, I might actually head up your way soon. My favorite Italian restaurant is up in, up in Boston.
1: Oh, hold on, let me guess. Hold on, no, no, hold on. You're not a tourist guy, so I'm going to say that you're going to go to a more local spot... I'm going to guess, and I totally don't know the answer to this question. I'm going to say Reno's. Is it Reno's?
0: You, you know, it, it's not Reno's, but but I've been hearing a lot about that place. I've never been there. i, I got to try it. W-
1: I will take you there. If you come up here, I will take All you right. to Reno's. Their eggplant is something sent straight from God. <laughs> All right. It's so good.
0: And, uh, I go to a place called Giacomo's. Oh! I think it's that's my favorite.
1: <laughs> Dude. So let me tell you about Giacomo's. All so right. I, I ran the Boston Marathon in 2019 when the world was still somewhat normal. And they tell you to, you know, go and carve up the weekend before you run the marathon. Right. So I went with a bunch of other people that were running the marathon and we waited two and a half hours in line because it's an old school family-owned Italian restaurant in the Italian section of Boston called the North End. They don't yep. take credit cards and they don't take reservations. So you just wait. Right. And we sat out there for two and a half hours and when I tell you I went house on Giacomo's, you know <laughs> how big their portions are. I ate the whole thing.
0: Yeah. That place is incredible.
1: It's so good. Well, when you come to town, we're going out to dinner and it's either going to be to Giacomo's and I'll wait in line with you or I'll take you to Reno's because that place is great, too.
0: OK, yeah, I'll put a little hang together. We'll, I'll, when I come up there, I'll hit you up. And-
1: you let me we'll- know because I would love to see you. And uh, one, cool. of th- one of the things that is different post-COVID or during COVID that I think is going to stick around is that they closed a lot of the parking spaces on Hanover Street in Boston. And allowed oh, really? all of the restaurants to create outdoor dining in them. And it oh, yeah.
0: is New York. awesome. Yeah. yeah, New York's doing the same thing. And that's a great thing. Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. It's awesome.
0: Cool. So, right. so you're saying Giacomo says outdoor seating. Yes. Oh my God. All right. I'm coming up soon.
1: Well, <laughs> you hit me up and we'll go. I want, I love their, uh, with peas and prosciutto. It's my favorite.
0: You got to get the, it's called, it's a cross between Fra Diablo sauce and their their house Giacomo sauce. They call it the Fracamo sauce. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's literally life-changing. So good.
1: There's something about having a good meal, man. You know, it's just some good wine and a good meal. I'm a simple person. I don't need much.
0: I agree. Same.
1: <laughs> well. Same. Until we can do that, enjoy your mom's meatballs, because once you get out on the road, you're not going to have them for a while.
0: I know. I know.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It was so good to see you. Thank you so much for hanging out with me.
0: Oh, no problem. Thanks for having me. This was fun.
1: And uh, hit me up when you come up. Absolutely. I absolutely will. All right. Tell the rest of the guys I said hi, and that I can't wait to see you guys when you're finally back on the road. Maybe I'll bump into you at Walmart at 2 a.m., (laughs)
0: Maybe.
1: (laughs) (laughs) all right I'll talk I'll talk to you soon Rob I'll see you later
0: all right right. talk soon bye Bye.
1: there he is Bobby Jaguar from Volbeat (laughs) huge thanks to Rob Caggiano from Volbeat and all of the music we talked about including Dagon 4 Dagon 4 is in the corresponding playlist that you can find in the show notes of this podcast episode Every full-length episode of the Mistress Carrie podcast has a corresponding playlist, so you can go in and listen to all of the music we talked about. In the show notes, you will also find links to find Rob online, to find Volbeat online, and to find me online as well. Huge thanks once again to our sponsors, Digital Federal Credit Union at dcu.org and also Jumptown Skydiving at Jumptown.com. If you liked what you heard, don't forget to hit subscribe so you don't miss anything. Full-length episodes of the Mistress Carrie podcast come out every Wednesday plus every weekday you get the situation reports that are all of your rock news and music headlines in just 5 minutes so you get a sit rep every weekday morning waiting for you so you can get filled in on all of the news you can also join me live every Tuesday night at 8:30 Eastern on my Facebook page for cocktails in the war room and don't forget to go shopping in my store at mistresscarry.com the mistress carry podcast a proud member of the pantheon podcast network